I've studied the form of comics intimately. What you need is a hobby. The words and pictures, they could be more of an art form. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know, it's pretty goddamn weird. A guy dresses up like a devil and a blind lawyer, you know? We have to do Aquaman. No one with a lick of sense would watch that show. The word fan actually is a, an abbreviated form of fanatic. And there are some people who fit that category. I believe comics are a last link to an ancient way of passing on history. You can put on a uniform for football year-round, nobody cares. Basketball year-round, nobody cares. Put on a Star Trek uniform, people get a case of the giggles. Yeah, hi, somebody told me to make comic books here. That's from Superman? Smallville. You have been trying that Jedi mind shit on me since the eighth grade. It doesn't work. Oh, it works. You guys must read too many comic books or something. People do not masturbate in the DC universe. That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. to Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and sometimes I've got more balls than brains. Sometimes, well, best to start at the beginning, I guess. Periodically, one of the things that I feel compelled to remind all of you guys about is I don't handle hype very well. You know, hype can be a sort of a, a turnoff for me after a while. And I also don't really handle conventional wisdom very well either. For example, one time I decided to sort of make a viewing project out of watching all of these movies that people think are just fucking amazing and just see if they really do live up to their reputation. And in some cases, they do. Take The Godfather, for example. By which I mean the first Godfather movie. I don't know how, but I can't escape the sensation that the first Godfather movie, if anything, is still somehow underrated. You know, I mean, it's one of the most beloved movies of all time. Everybody in the world will tell you it's a bona fide classic. But even that kind of sells the thing short in terms of just how good it really is, you know? Or here's another one, Apocalypse Now. I really love Apocalypse Now. It's, I, I can't even really explain why, you know? It's just, it's one of those movies that the music never gets old, the, the way that it's shot, just like the style of it never gets old. The, those voiceovers, they never get old, so on and so on and so on, right? Just friggin' love it. Great movie. One of the movies that really didn't live up to the hype, though, is... And some of you may want to crucify me for this, but... One of the movies that just did not live up to the hype is Citizen Kane. I sat down and watched this thing thinking, Alright, greatest movie ever. Show me what you got. And Trennis Magnus was not impressed. I, I really don't know where that movie's coming, that movie's rep is coming from, other than to say that it was so innovative at the time that it, that it came out, that I almost want to call it the Watchmen effect. You know, I grew up in an era post Watchmen, where comics 
On some level or another, I don't think it would be fair to say that every single comic book that was coming out in the late 80s and then all through the 90s were in some way or another reacting to Watchmen. But at the same time, I mean, you really can't overlook just how influential Watchmen as a comic book was. You know, and so one of one of the, I guess, side effects of that is that when you grow up and all, you know, reading all of these post-Watchmen comics and then you go back and actually read Watchmen, it may be a little bit difficult to really understand just how important Watchmen really was in its time. And I think the same thing may be happening there with Citizen Kane, where watching Citizen Kane now for the first time after all of these movies that in some way or another are kind of influenced by Citizen Kane, you may not really see how good Citizen Kane truly is. And you know what? I'm willing to accept that. You know, it's not that Citizen Kane is a bad movie. It's just that I'm unable to connect with it, right? I'm willing to consider that as a possibility. It also goes the other way. You know, are certain movies quite as bad as people make them out to be? Well, I happen to think that the answer to that, in at least a few cases, is in fact, no. I'm the guy that defended the Joel Schumacher Batman. Both of the Joel Schumacher Batman films, to be precise. I happen to think that there is a lot to enjoy about Batman and Robin. If what you're looking for is just this deep, dark, gritty ultra-realistic type of Batman, I can see where Batman and Robin is gonna... It's just not gonna be your brand of vodka, right? I totally buy that. And so, I guess my reply to that is that it's not really for everybody. But for what Batman and Robin wants to be, for what it sets out to do, I think it's a really fun and enjoyable movie. I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that the movie's high art or anything. But I do think it's an enjoyable movie. Other universally panned movies are maybe not enjoyable, but they're enjoyable, I guess, in a certain in a certain vocabulary, right? In a certain context, it can be a little bit enjoyable. And a good example would be The Room. Again, it's not high art. It's not a good movie, okay? The Room is not a good film. But if you th if you think of the view, uh, not the view, if you think of the room, I guess less as a film and more of a psychiatric profile of Tommy Wiseau, the the writer director of the room. Damn, you know. So that's my point. You know, sometimes a movie that everyone considers to be bad. It's got some kind of transcendent quality to it that actually makes it really enjoyable. And I don't mean this in so bad it's good. That, to me, is more like an Ed Wood film, you know? It's so bad that, at least for some people, it's actually good. You know, it's actually come the other way around and it's back to being good, you know? I'm not saying that of Batman and Robin, and I'm not saying that about... The Room. I think that Batman and Robin, I don't give a flying fuck what anybody says. I think that's a fun movie. The Room, that's a bad movie. But like I say, if you think of it not as a bad movie and more of like a character study of who Tommy Wiseau is as a person. Well, suffice it to say, Sigmund Freud would have a field day with him. So, there you go. Then there are other movies out there that are just fucking bad. I mean, bad sir. These movies are so fucking bad that it's like through some kind of weird fucked up social or, or, or cultural osmosis. We don't even need to see them. We already know that they fucking suck. These movies are just bad, all right? Not so bad they're good or they're bad in a fun campy kind of way. No, they're just fucking bad. Bad, bad, bad. And that, I think, is probably about as good an introduction into today's subject as anything I could possibly ask for. Because today, I'm here to talk about Battlefield Earth. Now, guys, I am not going to lie to you. I had never seen Battlefield Earth before sitting down 
to talk about it now. And I, I finished watching the movie not even 10 minutes ago. And I made little notes to myself as I went through it because... Holy fucking Moses. This is a bad, bad, bad fucking movie. I mean, this movie is bad. When people talk about, like, bad cinema... In my opinion, Battlefield Earth is basically the gold standard of bad film. And, again, we're not talking about bad in a kind of kitschy, ironic kind of way. We're not talking bad in... This movie is just very poorly made... We're not talking bad in any other way than this thing fucking sucks. From beginning to end, top to bottom, side to side, front to back, and everything in between, this movie is bad. And it almost, in a certain way, kind of defies summarization, because that's not even really the fucking point. But just so I can say I've, I, I was... I don't know. I, that I did a thorough job of talking about Battlefield Earth... I'm going to go through a little bit of the summary of this movie. In the year 3000, Earth has been ruled for 1,000 years by the Cyclos, a brutal race of giant humanoid aliens. The remnants of humanity are either enslaved by the Cyclos and used for manual labor, or else they survive in primitive tribes living in remote areas outside of Cyclo control. Johnny Goodboy Tyler, played by Barry Pepper, a member of one such tribe, leaves his home in the Rocky Mountains on a journey of exploration. He joins forces with Carlo, played by Kim Coates, a hunter, but both men are captured by a Cyclo raiding party and transported to a slave labor camp at the Cyclo's main base on Earth, which is to say a giant fucking dome built over the ruins of Denver, Colorado. Terrell, played by John Travolta, the Cyclo's security chief on Earth, has been condemned by his superiors to remain indefinitely at his post on the planet Earth as punishment for an as-yet-unclear incident involving the senator's daughter. Aided by his deputy, Kerr, Kerr, whatever the, however you pronounce this guy's name, honestly, they said it many times in the movie, it's just that I don't give a damn, played by Forrest Whitaker, Terrell devises a plan to buy his way off the planet by making a fortune using human slaves to mine gold in radioactive areas. Cyclos are unable to visit such areas due to the explosive interaction of the gas that they breathe with radionuclide particles. Terrell selects Johnny as his foreman for the project and gives him a cyclo education using a rapid learning machine. Terrell then gives Johnny a party of slaves and a cyclo flying shuttle and orders him to go out and find gold. After learning the cyclo's language, history, and myriad other educational forms from the rapid learning machine, Johnny plots a human uprising against the Cyclos. He obtains gold from Fort Knox to satisfy Terrell's demands and uses his free time to plot a revolution. Johnny and his band of followers find an abandoned underground U.S. military base with working aircraft, weapons, fuel, and nuclear weapons. They use the base's flight simulators to train themselves in aerial combat. When Terrell returns, he orders more gold to be extracted and tells how in the 21st century the Cyclos conquered Earth in a matter of minutes. Nine minutes, to be precise. Johnny warns Terrell that he will be overthrown and the humans will retake, re, uh, retake Earth and cites the United States Declaration of Independence as inspiration, to which Terrell scoffs. After a week of training, the rebels launch a mass uprising against the Cyclos using Harrier jump jets and other weapons. Carlo sacrifices himself to destroy the dome over Denver, and the cyclos inside suffocate in Earth's atmosphere, which they are unable to breathe. Johnny captures a cyclo teleportation device and uses it to teleport an atomic bomb to the cyclo homeworld. The ensuing detonation causes the entire cyclo atmosphere to explode, wiping out the cyclo world Krypton style. The film ends with the humans in control of Earth but facing an uncertain future, along with Terrell and, and Kerr, who survived the base destruction. Terrell's now imprisoned inside Fort Knox in a makeshift cell of gold bars, while Kerr sides with the victorious humans and helps in their hard effort to rebuild their, their civilization. The end. So, what did I think? Well, Battlefield Earth is not exactly 
the first celebrity vanity project in the history of Hollywood. So on the one hand, I don't want to go too hard on it for basically being a vehicle for John Travolta to pay homage to L. Ron Hubbard, whose work, Battlefield Earth, is the basis for the movie called Battlefield Earth. On the one hand, like I say, I don't, I'm not going to hold that against John Travolta too much because, you know, on the one hand, it's easy to make fun of. But on the other hand, you know, guys, if if you had if you had John Travolta's level of influence circa the mid 1990s, I find it hard to believe that some of you wouldn't use your newfound influence to. I guess to push through pet projects that that you're that you're most interested in, right? I just find that I find that hard to believe. But my guess is that if you are just unable to get your movie made the way you wanted it to be made, the day would come, I think, when most normal, rational adults would say, you know what? Some things just weren't meant to be and let it go. John Travolta is not such a person. He rode this thing again and again and again, and eventually he was able to bully a movie studio into, uh, into releasing the movie. Now, John Travolta he was very well aware of the criticism that he was receiving for doing this. So in an interview, he was quoted as saying, and he's talking here about the, what he thinks are the perceived similarities between Battlefield Earth and his Scientology religion. He says, well, they are kind of synonymous. L. Ron Hubbard is very famous for Scientology and Dianetics. On the other hand, he's equally as famous in the science fiction world. So for people to think that, look, I don't want anybody, or rather, I don't want everybody to try Scientology. I don't really care if somebody uh, uh, thinks that. I'm not worried about it. You can't be. The truth of why I'm doing this, and he's talking about making the movie Battlefield Earth, the truth of why I'm doing this is because it's a great piece of science fiction. I'm going to be the wickedest nine-foot alien you've ever seen in your life. And apparently, this was not exactly a matter of consensus among all celebrity Scientologists. Word around the water cooler is Tom Cruise, shall we say, told people at Warner Brothers that making this movie based on this book is a bad, bad, bad fucking idea. Although his spokesperson denied that Tom Cruise ever said this, there are enough rumors out there floating around for me to believe that, you know what, there's probably something to that whole idea, you know? And Travolta was later further quoted as saying, I'm doing this, meaning making the movie, I'm doing this because it's a great piece of science fiction. This is not about Hubbard. I'm very interested in Scientology, but that's personal, and this is different. And I'm sorry, I just kind of have to raise the bullshit flag on that one. I mean, you know, dude, there are so many science fiction books out there that you could have adapted into a movie. It's a little much for me to think that the L. Ron Hubbard connection here had nothing to do with it. Now, guys, before I go any further with this, allow me to put this on pause and say I am not bashing on Scientology. Okay, if somebody wants to believe in Scientology, if they want to be a Scientologist, I don't care. Okay, I really don't. It's look, it's no skin off my nose. All right, the simple fact of the matter, and I'm looking at this more from the standpoint of, I guess, um, sociology or maybe social anthropology. If you look at what it takes to have a truly great civilization, there are certain things that your civilization must accomplish, right? Your civilization has to invent, develop, and then perfect new technology. 
America has done that. Your civilization needs to devise and experiment with new forms of government. America has done that. Your civilization has to do and accomplish great works of art, music, literature, whatever. America has done those things. You go down the line of everything that America must do in order to be considered a great civilization, it's all on the table. Except for a very long time, except for developing a new religion. And again, I'm not going to be sectarian about this. Developing religion is something that all great civilizations must do in order to be truly great. Now, whether or not you agree with that religion is not the point. The point is, did your civilization create a new religion? And I don't mean a new denomination. I mean a new fucking religion. And say whatever you want about L. Ron Hubbard, say whatever you want about Dianetics, say whatever you want about Scientology. This is the only completely original religion that has ever come out of America, as far as I know. I mean, some people might be tempted to point to Mormonism, and again, I'm not taking sides against Mormonism, and I'm not taking sides with Mormonism. I'm just saying that Mormonism is, number one, uniquely American, but number two, distinctly Christian. Now, again, you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with the Mormons. You do not have to be a Mormon. I'm simply asking you to recognize the fact that Mormonism is American, but it's not It's not, not a, uh, a, a Christian religion. Put it that way, right? So again, if you're if you're listening to this and you're not a Mormon, or if you're a Christian and you're you're a non-Mormon Christian and you have a low opinion of the Mormon religion, <clears throat> dude, not the point. All right, let it the fuck go. All right, not asking you to be a Mormon. I'm not a Mormon myself. I'm simply asking you to recognize the fact that Mormonism is, in its origins, uniquely American, but it is not unique. Say whatever you want about Scientology. Scientology is not Christian, and it is otherwise completely unique, right? So as far as I can tell, Scientology, and this is my point, Scientology is the only completely original religion that America has ever produced. And it's kind of funny to me that it was created... And again, I'm not saying this to be pejorative. I'm simply saying it because it's true. It was created by a science fiction writer. So again, this leads us back to cultural achievements and works of fiction, right? I don't want that to sound mean, so don't get offended by that. Whatever. There's no... Look, this is obviously a kind of a hot potato. There's no, there's no completely inoffensive way that I can work through all of this. So, but my point is, I'm not trying to demean anybody. I'm not trying to insult anybody's religion. Or anything. I'm just trying to be very objective about this and say that America has achieved everything else that a great civilization needs to accomplish in order to be considered truly great, except for religion. And like I say, Scientology is the only completely original religion to ever come out of America, right? That's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So my point is, you know, you can love it or you can hate it. You have to at least give it that much, right? So as it goes for Battlefield Earth, though, obviously the question that I came into this thing with is, is this movie truly as bad as people say? And just how bad do people say that it is? Well, we'll come back to that in just a moment, but... For right now, it needs to be said that Klingon, or sorry, not Klingon, Cyclos are basically slightly more erudite versions of Klingons, you know? They're a little bit more culturally refined, but they're basically brutes, more or less like Klingons, right? And so I guess we're going to dock a few points for originality there, but another thing is just how just kind of weird, hammy, goofy, and over-the-top this movie is. I mean, Johnny... 
does this sort of weird tribal dance at the beginning of the movie. And I don't know, but I'm pretty sure an amateur filmmaking crew of high school students wouldn't shoot something like that in quite that way because even they would think, that's a little over the top. Anyway, I'm pretty sure that Battlefield Earth has more slow motion in it than a Zack Snyder movie. There's this moment when Johnny gets captured by Terrell, and it's supposed to be this big action uh, action scene, you know? Or I at least I assume that's what it is in the script, but it's mostly shot in slow motion with this kind of weird green tinting effect to it that wasn't in the scene seconds before. So instead of being this big action set piece, it actually comes off more like this weird, fucked up, cerebral dream sequence. But still, shit tons of slow motion. I don't know, but I'm thinking Battlefield Earth would be at least 10 minutes shorter if it wasn't, if it was shot at completely normal speed rather than all this fucking slow motion. Because when the slow motion starts, usually all of the sound effects and the dialogue go away. And it's basically just slow motion video with the score playing in the background. That's pretty common. In the capture sequence, you see Johnny running around with green laser blasts flashing all around him, but the laser blasts don't really make any sound. Later, though, when there's no slow motion, uh, slow motion going on, the laser blasts do make noise. But in the slow motion moments, all sound effects and dialogue go away. Remember I said this because I'm going to be coming back to this in just a few seconds. But anyway, another way of looking at all of this is that all the slow motion really does is extend the viewing experience. Now, considering that we're talking about Battlefield Earth here, a longer viewing experience isn't necessarily a very good thing. Also, Battlefield Earth as a film is filled with Dutch angles. I mean, offhand, I don't think a single shot in the movie is filmed with the camera just pointed straight. Every last damn one of these things is a Dutch angle. And I mean like a crazy Dutch angle. A lot of directors might shoot at a Dutch angle in a very soft and subtle way so that it doesn't immediately scream, Hey, Dutch angle! But here... The camera angle, the camera's almost sideways. I mean, it's just fucking insane. There are also a lot of a lot of wipes from one scene to the next. Again, I don't know this to be true, but I guess the filmmakers wanted to cash in on the Star Wars craze that was going on at the time, but the issue here is that there are stylistic problems with that. And I guess what I mean by that is that Star Wars takes a lot of influence from the action serials of the 1940s, while Battlefield Earth is more like hard sci-fi. Very bad hard sci-fi, but hard sci-fi nevertheless. So the wipes are a little bit of a distracting stylistic clash. Then you start getting into other things that are just fucking weird. I mean, there's this, there's this one moment where people are talking about golden arches. Drive the chariots in front of special caves with golden arches. Golden. And the food would magically appear. Magic. Here. Golden arches? Food would magically appear? Guys, I'm going to be totally honest here. I truly thought that the characters were going to stop off at the ruins of a, of a McDonald's restaurant. And I got to tell you, people, if they had, I was going to turn the movie off and not even bother recording all of this. But luckily, they were talking about something else. I don't know what, because the movie itself doesn't really explain it, but at least we don't actually see a bombed-out, leftover ruins of a McDonald's restaurant. So there's that to think about. Something else, though, is the acting. All of the acting, I would say, is pretty much over the top, but let's face it, John Travolta was always going to be the lightning rod for this stuff. 
John Travolta's performance here in Battlefield Earth is truly beyond the beyond. A lot of people compare Terrell to Dick Dastardly, and you know what? They're on to something, but... My God, I mean, this is... You want to... Look, William fucking Shatner would sit down, watch this movie, and think, golly, that fellow was going way over the top. You know, I mean, it's John Travolta's dialogue. Oh, my gosh. You puny little man-animal. You rat brain. How could you possibly believe that you could outsmart me? I am a cyclone. <laughs> I mean, the laughing. My God, the laughing. Battlefield Earth is filled to overflowing with people laughing. And weirdest of all, sometimes you can't even hear the laughter. Sometimes... People are laughing, but they're inaudible. Yes, in Battlefield Earth, characters laugh in slow fucking motion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're too much. I do what I can. (laughs) It's a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Man animals operating machinery. (laughs) Have you blown a head gasket? Transporter. <laughs> Just because you've learned Cyclo doesn't mean you've become one. <laughs> How exactly do you plan to do that? <laughs> Stupid humans. <laughs> the old Cyclo has gone completely insane. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> As soon as they did. <laughs> Do you know how long? What are you doing? <laughs> I hate these things. I, I feel like, like it's a test that I'm not prepared for. <laughs> no! Keeping track, that works out to about two minutes of people laughing. Two whole fucking minutes of laughing. I couldn't make this shit up. And yeah, there are plot holes. Big ones. The humans come across a collection of military hardware, and somehow, after a thousand years... The fuel still works, the trucks all have air in their tires, the hydraulics on the flight simulator still work, all that stuff. It's just retarded. But Magnus, but Magnus, you're supposed to suspend your disbelief. Bullshit. Bull-fucking-shit. Sorry, no. (laughs) That is not my job. That's the director's job. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Johnny learns the cyclo-language and also... Learns mathematical theory, science, history, and all sorts of other bullshit. Basically, the Cyclos use this machine that shines a light in Johnny's eye, and voila, he's now the smartest man in the world. Machines like that don't exist. Machines like that can't exist. And the reason for that is because your eye isn't designed to receive input like that. But whatever... That machine works the way the director says it works 
because he says it works that way. So whatever, that much I can live with. But what I can't live with is this bullshit idea that military equipment can survive and be ready to use after a thousand years of neglect. All right? Not fucking possible. Anyway, so all of this is a really long way of saying that Battlefield Earth's reputation, I think, is very well, uh, very well deserved. All right? This film was nearly universally panned when it was first released, right? It was... Whatever metric you care to use, critical reception or box office performance, it fucking tanked with both of those. As an example, the Washington Post review says... A million monkeys with a million crayons would be hard-pressed in a million years to create anything as cretinous as Battlefield Earth. This film version of L. Ron Hubbard's futuristic novel is so breathtakingly awful in concept and execution, it wouldn't tax the smarts of a troglodyte. The New York Times review says... It may be a bit early to make such judgments, but Battlefield Earth may well turn out to be the worst movie of this century. And it goes on to call the movie Plan 9 from Outer Space for a New Generation. The British film critic Jonathan Ross says, Everything about Battlefield Earth sucks. Everything. The over-the-top music... The unbelievable sets, the terrible dialogue, the hammy acting, the lousy special effects, the beginning, the middle, and especially the end. A Hollywood reporter summarized the film as being a flat-out mess, by golly, with massive narrative sinkholes leading to moments of outstanding disbelief in the muddled writing and shockingly chaotic Maison scene that's accompanied by ear-pummeling sound and bombastic music. Particular points that critics held up for censure include its use of angled camera shots, as I was saying before, derivative special effects, and unbelievable plotting. And I want to talk about that for just a minute. Basically, what we, the audience, are expected to believe is that these primitives who know nothing about technology and don't even really understand the fact for like the first half of the movie that... that their enemy is actually an alien race as opposed to demonic creatures. In other words, they think they're up against the supernatural versus, you know, the cyclos, aliens from another planet. Or cyclons, I should say. Fucking whatever these things are called. Aliens from another planet. We're supposed to believe that people that fucking primitive that they don't even have a written language anymore... Somehow they're able to learn how to fly Harrier jets in less than one week. I'm sorry, I don't fucking buy it. All right? It would... No. I'm, it, it, there is such a thing as too stupid for me to believe. And that, dear friends, is too stupid for me to believe. Anyway, it just goes on and on from there. I mean, this movie is apparently at something like 3% or something like that on Rotten Tomatoes. And I don't really put a whole lot of stock in Rotten Tomatoes on the one hand, but on the, on the other hand, <clears throat> I just can't help thinking that, you know what, Rotten Tomatoes, I think they've got it right in this case. So anyway, how bad is Battlefield Earth? Guys, it's fucking bad. I mean, there are some movies out there that are so bad that the only thing that makes them watchable is the fact that you recommend them to somebody and say, dude, you want to see a bad movie? Ha <laughs> ha. This is a bad fucking movie. Guys, Battlefield Earth is not that kind of bad movie. It's a bad movie that's just fucking unwatchable. There is literally nothing redeeming about this movie, including its own badness. This movie is bad even at being bad. That's how bad this thing is. I mean, it's just it's fucking bad, right? And on the one hand, I really... I mean, I'm kind of happy that I rejected the sort of the internet groupthink that's associated with Battlefield Earth, on the one hand. 
On the other hand, though, not all groupthink is always wrong all the time. This, I think, is one of those instances when, you know what, believe it or not, the groupthink was actually pretty close to the truth. It's It did, I think, a pretty adequate job of summarizing just how fucking bad this movie truly is. So, anyway... I wouldn't exactly call that a ringing endorsement or anything. I mean, golly, if this sounds like your idea of fun, well, 10 to 1, you've probably already seen the movie anyway, but if you haven't, I can't in good conscience recommend that you see it. But no matter what, I don't really think that this is one of those things that mass audiences got wrong. This was just an incredibly bad, bad, fucking bad movie. And... It almost pains me to think that in its original conception, this was actually supposed to be part one of a two-part film, I guess a duology, because apparently they only adapted the first half of the book into the movie. The entire second half has yet to be made. And at this point, I think it would be safe to assume that the second half will never be made, and I can't help thinking we're all better off because of it. So, I've never read the book, but there's no way that the book can somehow be worse than the movie that the that inspired that it inspired. So, I don't know. Maybe just read the book and see if this is the kind of thing that you might enjoy. But for whatever else you do, fucking don't see this movie. It's fucking terrible. Anyway, so I think that's pretty much it for me. So. I'll be right back after these messages. Stand by. Is your male dog in need of some relaxation? Is the pressure getting to him? Well then, we've got great news for you. Here at Magnus Doggy Brothel, we have over 1,000 bitches in heat to help your dog relax. For just $300, your little guy can get the happy ending you only wish that you could get. We have all different kinds of breeds to satisfy your furry roommate. Labradors for those who need some all-American love. Shizu for those who prefer something a bit more exotic. Why, we even have Doberman Pinchers if anybody likes it rough. And this weekend, we're offering a discounted special. Two bitches at the same time. And this won't cost you a million dollars either. Get two for the price of one for your studly pet. So bring your furry buddy to Magnus Doggy Brothel. Our facilities are licensed for the finest and doggy pleasure that you'll ever find. Why, just check out all the rave reviews we've gotten on Yelp. Magnus Doggy Brothel. Because a bang is always better than a whimper, right? Right? Am I right? Enter at your own risk. Patent pending. Magnus Doggy Brothel is a subsidiary of Demonzo Happy Ending Ventures. Not responsible for loss or injury. Subject to terms and conditions. Void where prohibited. As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. Two! 
Socceros, Moria Clawhammer here. Thanks to a tax loophole and a life insurance policy, I have an authentic Mexican taco stand. The explosive taqueria. Well, if you want a pound of burrito, or just get your tongue on a taco, well, get off your ass, take a waco. Come throw some meat down your throat. If you want some food, here's a thingo. You don't want to eat like a gringo. Have some Mexican grub with some zingo. Taco sauce that explodes in your mouth. At the Explosive Taqueria in South DeManzaville, we have every kind of goddamn Mexican food you crave. We got chimichangas, ensalada, churros, chupacarnes, deep-fried jalapeno pooper, churritos, the famous taco shake. Taco shake discontinued. Triple refried baked beans, choritos, chimichibas, chimichochas, the Commodore's nachos, and the ever-popular endless burrito bowl. All prepared by our authentic Mexican cook, Manuel. My name is is David. I'm from Bolivia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the ladies, we have the Tila Tequila, a tiny taco, but you'll be amazed how much beef and cheese we can stuff in there. For the daredevil, we have the El Pollo Croco, a full chicken stuffed with four soft-shell tacos, two beef burritos, and two sides of your choice, deep-fried and slathered in taco sass. The taco sauce with sass. So lock down your sphincter and come on down. The Explosive Taqueria, 312 Elm Street, South the Monzaville. Tell Amori Clawhammer sent you. Arriva Dirty. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T R. E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2 True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2 True Freaks at the same time. 2 True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search 2 True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number 2. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about 2 True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. 
Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonzacore of Milan, Italy. <laughs>